This morning, we've got the pleasure of hearing from Paul Bremner, who always has a good word for us. Uh, But before he speaks, he's one of our missionaries that our church supports, so we're going to find out a little bit about Paul, a bit of an update. So a lot of people, hands up if you know where Paul works and what he does. (laughs) That's a good start. Well, you can have a seat. (laughs) Um, So for those people who don't know, Yep. You work at Youth Dimension. Can you tell us a little bit about Youth Dimension and what your role is there? Yep, Youth Dimension. That's all good. Sweet. Thanks, man. Um, yep, YD is a multi-denominational Christian organisation that pretty much exists to... Um, uh, they've, they've got a heart to equip young people for a life and mission. Um, so our heart is to uh, teach the gospel to people and then equip them to be able to share that in whatever context that looks like for them, be that in a pastoral role somewhere, be that as a high school teacher or a tradie on a work site. That's a snapshot. Sounds Done. good. So people would probably associate Youth Dimension, uh, if they've known it in the past, with coffee shops yep. and with you going into schools and running programs in schools. Yes. But YD is having a little bit of a relaunch, I believe. Yeah. And so can you just tell us about how that's changing? You've, I know you've hinted at it there, but... Yep. Um, Yes, coffee shop, Drift In, Blue Moose, all the other different names that the Summer Mission has had through YD. Um, They're actually not around at the minute, and YD's in the process of working out um, if there's already people in that space, where else can we get to to serve uh, the kingdom as a whole? And with the schools ministry, we're still in schools. Um, We're just finding it a lot tougher to walk into a government school these days and stand up and give a five-minute talk on who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Uh, So our school ministry just looks a lot different. We're working a lot harder. I actually think it's a better long-term thing to partner with the local church to get them in their local school, them serving the school. Um, And out of that, they can advertise their youth groups, their programs, their whatever. And as soon as kids come across to the church... Well, then it's not just one lunchtime once a week that they're hearing about Christ in the end. It's all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So can you tell us, we can sense your passion, I think. Yep. Hopefully you can sense Paul's passion for what he does. <laughs> what are the things that really excite you about your job? Um, just seeing people this year. I've spent the last six years overseeing the outreach side of Whitey, so all the Blue Mooses and the schools ministry and... That means going out to churches and teaching uh, youth leaders how to, how to share the gospel effectively with people and um, just uh, drumming up a heart for people to love the gospel and then to seek to go and share it. And this year, uh, my role's changed a bit. YD's needed a bit of help overseeing their, um, they call it a metamorph program. It's the gap year course that 18-year-olds come straight out of school and study with us. And I've really been excited seeing young Christians come in, or really young kids that have gone to church come in, uh, that have just hearing the gospel for the first time, coming to love the gospel and actually seeing the need to go and share it. Uh, that excites me, seeing people actually go and do what we're trying to get them to do. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Must be very rewarding to see yes. that. And no doubt, with every job, there are challenges. What are some of the challenges that you can share with us? Um, oh, like I mentioned, in our schools ministry, YD used to be in well over 100 schools just in Victoria and we would go into government schools and part of the program would be to stand up front and give a five-minute message on who Jesus is and why he's relevant to a year seven or eight kid in schools. Uh, we can't do that anymore. Um, so that is definitely a challenge. Mm. Um, but 
It's an exciting one. It makes us come up with ways. It actually, what I've loved is it's made us rely a lot more on God uh, to provide opportunities. It's made us rely a lot more on prayer. Not that we weren't praying before, but it's made us realise if a kid's going to get saved in a school, well, God's the one doing it. And it's just reminded us of that. And so we're still in schools. It's a big challenge, but... Um, we've just had more opportunities come up with staff, more than students at the minute, asking, oh, why are you guys still here? You can't do your Christian part. Why are you here? Uh, and to be able to sit down with year-level coordinators or vice principals and share about what's important to us. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. That's great. No worries. So then how can we pray for you? Um, and your job yeah. and your family and yeah, your personal, sure. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at work, YD, definitely just opportunities to share the gospel. Um, in schools, I think while it's gotten harder, you know, I just see it, it makes it even more important that we're there. There's so many kids in there that have no idea who Jesus is. They've got no idea what he's done for them. Uh, they're, they're rejecting a God that they know nothing about. Um, so I think just opportunities to meet with kids in that school age bracket, whether that's running after-school programs, because there's a few loopholes in getting around the restrictions in schools or um, yeah just God blessing us with a way to continue to share the gospel with sort of that high school age kids that aren't in churches hearing about God Uh, for our family just health would be great and sleeping anyone that's got a young kid knows there's not too much sleep Phoebe is seven months old and does not like to sleep she likes to roll around she likes to stand up she likes to just be eating things and climbing things, but she does not like sleeping. So we celebrate at the minute if we get two to three hours. We would love a bit more sleep. And that's not two to three. <laughs> that's not two to three hours at a time. That's two to three hours a night. Yeah. So true, that's really true. that's a big prayer point yes, for these guys. Definitely. So how about if you join with me? I know that you'll be joining with me as I pray for Paul. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much that you have put Paul in the position that he's in at Youth Dimension. We can just see the passion that he has for getting young people to know you. And uh, that is a job that's getting harder as restrictions come into schools. We just pray for opportunities. We pray that uh, there'll be times when those loopholes can be found to get around uh, restrictions that are there, to still be respectful of, uh, of what those things are in schools, but to be able to find ways to share you with the staff as well as the students. And I thank you for the times when that's happening and uh, the joy that that brings. And I just pray for the connection with churches as well, for some of these kids who are getting curious, that uh, there'll be other places even that they can go and speak more openly and find out about you. So we just pray for Youth Dimension and their direction and for Paul and his job as part of all of that. We pray for his family as well, for health and uh, for sleep, which is a big part of health as well. Lord, I just really pray that... um, that you will help Phoebe to sleep and that therefore that Paul and Amanda can get some rest as well and really uh, enjoy life and enjoy parenthood. I just pray for Paul as he brings us your word this morning as part of our series about the end end times. I just um, pray that what he is saying will come through clearly to us and uh, be your words through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Joss. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to come and share with you this morning. It's a real privilege, and especially on a topic of beginning of the end, these end times and what they mean for you and I today. 
In our life, I think there are many different events that are approaching that we know about in advance that have the potential to influence how we live our lives and impact how we live our lives. But how we respond to these events depends on what they actually are. If I told you to put a staff meeting in your diary for this coming Wednesday, um, for most people, this isn't an event that they would dread, but it's not an event that would get them up and about and excited. For most people, if you're like me, Wednesday in the staff meeting would simply come and go, and you would go about your life as normal, and it wouldn't really influence or impact how you live. But what if I told you that you had to get an injection in two weeks' time? Um, for some people, again, you might be fine with that, but if you're anything like me, you will immediately begin to panic. Um, and from the point of me knowing that I need to get an injection in two weeks' time, I'm not sleeping for two weeks, not sleeping anyway, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm not sleeping for two weeks, I'm feeling completely sick for two weeks, I'm doing anything I can to get it out of my mind completely that I need to get this injection, and I'm spending the next two weeks on Google, in blogs, researching anyone that will give me the opinion that I actually don't need the needle that I need to go and get. And then I'll share with my wife, and she will wisely say, that's some 16-year-old kid on a blog that doesn't really know too much about what they're talking about. Um, some events in life just come and go. Some events in life we dread and we fear. And other events in life we look forward to and we long for with joy for them to arrive. Take a wedding, for example. For most people, a wedding's an event that's foretold in advance. A couple gets engaged. Uh, they set a date for in the future when they'll be married. Um, and this is an event that the couple longs for in joy and anticipation while it's still arriving. But it's also an event that influences and impacts how they live their lives well in advance of this day arriving and well in advance of this day occurring. They begin to make preparations before the day comes. They find a place to live. They plan a honeymoon, organise gift registries, receptions. A lot of couples start taking pre-marriage courses to prepare to begin living together as husband and wife. Weddings are events that people long for and look forward to that change their lives forever. And this morning, we're going to have a look at another event that is approaching, that is much bigger, that is much more important, that is to be longed for with much more joy and much more anticipation that is equally to be prepared for, much more than any wedding, being the return of Jesus Christ, our King. My prayer this morning is that we'll leave here believing that Christ's return is an event that we need to care about, not like some staff meeting that comes and goes without really impacting our lives. The Christ's return for those who are in Christ and responded to the gospel is not an event that we need to dread or fear and do all we can to not think about, but rather... The fact that Jesus is coming back, this is an event that will change our lives completely forever, that we can eagerly look forward to and anticipate with joy. But just like a wedding, we're called to begin preparing for it now before it arrives. So let me pray, and then we'll get into our passage for this morning. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for all you've so graciously done for us. Thank you for the privilege we have to freely gather here this morning and to worship you. God, thank you for this great gift you've given us in your word, the Bible, and I pray that as we open it this morning that you, through your Holy Spirit, you'll reveal more to us of who you are, reveal more to us 
of who we are. Reveal more to us of how offensive sin is towards you and our great need for a saviour that you have already so graciously provided for us in your beautiful son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 11 to 14 predominantly. It will be on the screen. While you're turning there, a real quick bit of context to this passage is that it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, um, most likely in between his first and second imprisonment, about the same time he's written the letter of 1 Timothy. Paul's just returned from a journey to Crete, whereby being Paul, he's established and planted some churches, but he's also left his co-worker there, Titus, to ensure that once he leaves, that these churches continue in true godliness and develop properly. However, since Paul's left, some false teachers have come around and they're trying to infiltrate these churches with some false doctrine. This is the main reason behind Paul writing this message. This is the main purpose he writes to Titus. He does so to address this false teaching that is going on. Because after Paul's gotten to know these false teachers a bit, it's become very clear to him that these false teachers don't even actually know God. And rather than being about God and his glory, they're about themselves and their own glory. So earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, Paul's given a list of clear criteria specific to church leaders as to what their lives should look like and how their behaviour should be. And he's shown that these false teachers don't come close to matching up. And how they live their lives actually proves that they don't even know God. Paul says of the false teachers in chapter 1, verse 16, they profess to know God but deny him by their works. They're detestable disobedient and unfit for any good work. Paul then moves on from church leaders to giving a list of instructions as to how Christians in general, like you and I, should behave and how we should live our lives as believers, being the kind of living or the kind of behaviour that actually corresponds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't just sit there saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. He goes on to explain why it is we need to live this way being the coming return of Jesus Christ, our King. And that's where we come to our passage this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, let's read Titus 2, 11 to 14, keeping in mind what Paul has just shared. He says, you need to live this way and do these things because, or for, verse 11 of chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. From these passages, I've simply got a few thoughts I feel God's placed on my heart to share with you this morning. And the first one being that Christ's return, the fact that Jesus is coming back, Christ's return should drive us to respond to the gospel. If we read verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. This is what Paul lays his foundation on. This is the most important thing in his mind in any of his letters. In everything he goes on to discuss earlier and further, that you need to live this way and your behaviour looks like this and you need to do this and all the works he calls us to as Christians, he says, you need to do this because of the gospel. It all begins at the gospel and it all stems from the gospel. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. What is this grace of God that brings salvation? The gospel. The gospel. 
in a snapshot. The fact that God created the world in the beginning, man and woman, you and I, and when he created everything, he created it with a specific purpose in mind that we would glorify him, that we would make him the most important aspect of our lives and live in perfect harmony with him. The problem is that at one point or another, every single person other than Jesus Christ himself to walk this earth has failed to do that and has made other things and other people in their life more important than God. And that's what sin is. Sin is any time we make anything, no matter what that thing is, or anyone, no matter who that person is, more important in our lives than God. That's what sin is. What does that look like for you? What are the areas in your life that you struggle with and that you make more important than God? Because God didn't intend it to be this way, the book of Romans clearly tells us that there's actually a consequence for our sinfulness and our sin, and that being death, to be eternally separated from a loving God. But then, in the midst of our relationship with God being broken, the grace of God appears and brings salvation to all people and makes a way for our relationship to be restored with God. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, God's son, came to earth as a man to glorify his father. And he did so by dying on a cross in our place for our sins and rising again three days later so that for all who believe in him are set free from the consequences that our sin deserves because Jesus has dealt with that. And instead of suffering our consequences, we're able to enter into a relationship with a just, holy, righteous God who loves us so much. This is the most important thing to the Apostle Paul above all else, the gospel. And he says, in light of Christ's return, we need to first respond to this news. In light of Christ's return, we need to respond to this amazing news of the gospel. Because once Jesus returns, people will be separated into those who will spend eternity with him and those who will spend eternity apart from him. My question for you this morning is, have, where are you at? Have you responded to this gospel? Have you responded to the amazing news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Well, maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you've ever heard it. And if that's the case, I don't believe that's any coincidence. I believe that God wants you to know that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how far you think you've run or how bad the stuff is or the sinfulness is in your life that God loves you and he's made a way for your relationship with him to be restored through his son Jesus Christ and in light of Christ's return we need to respond to that we need to respond to the gospel and for those of us here today that have responded to the gospel in saving faith praise God for his graciousness we didn't save ourselves God saved us let's praise him for that and because of that Let's be doing all we can to go out and share the gospel. Christ's return should drive us to respond to the gospel. Christ's return should drive us to share the gospel. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 makes it very clear. It says of Jesus Christ, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. People need Jesus in order to be saved. That's what the Bible says teaches us. There's actually no other way, and therefore we need to be telling people about him. We need to be sharing the gospel with others. We need to be sharing the true gospel 
of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again to save us from our sins. Uh, Not just general, airy-fairy truths about God. Because knowledge that God exists isn't enough to save us. A pastor that I read books of, he's part of a gospel coalition, if you've ever heard of that. His name's David Platt. Uh, He gave a message on evangelism in November last year, and it has stuck with me more than anything. But one of his lines was that there are currently over 2 billion people in the world whose knowledge of God is only sufficient for them to be separated from him forever. Um, it's always stuck with me. James chapter 2.19 says, You believe that there's a God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they tremble. We need to be sharing the true gospel with people. Who Jesus is and what he's graciously done for us. Because that's where good news is found. And even think more personally, I'm sure, like there is in my life, there's people, friends, family members in your life that you know need Jesus to be saved. Well, let's get praying for them and be doing all we can to share the gospel with them. The fact that Jesus is returning should drive us to urgently respond to the gospel. The fact that Jesus is returning should drive us to urgently share the gospel because once he returns, it actually will be too late and people are either brought towards him for eternity or separated from him forever. Third point, Christ's return should also drive us to live godly lives. Some things in life uh, don't seem to work too well together. Some things are in complete opposition to one another. Uh, Collingwood and Carlton in the AFL don't mix together. Um, Drinking a glass of orange juice in the morning 10 minutes after you've brushed your teeth doesn't go too well together. Um, Any form of an electrical appliance and water Not a good mix. Um, These are just a few things that don't go well together in life. But some things do go well together. For some things in life, while they can be separated, they work much better when we experience them together. Tomato sauce is great, but if you add it to a meat pie, it's awesome. Um, (laughs) Coffee and mornings. If you like me, coffee in any time of day or night is awesome. Uh, Love and marriage, while we can separate these things, they work much better when we experience them together. And I'm sure you can think of your own examples. But while these things can be separated, they work much better together. And I think this is similar to a couple of things that our passage points out this morning, being faith and works. Um, Let's read our passage again. It's only a few verses. Let's remind ourselves of Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There's faith. And now he calls us to works. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We've just spent a few minutes focusing on the gospel and how God graciously offers salvation to all who respond to the amazing work of his son, Jesus Christ. And now Paul moves on to say, in light of that, or because of that, it should influence how you live your lives and what our behaviour should look like. Paul's argument is that one cannot simply claim to have saving faith and how they live their life look no different from before. 
Remember the context to our passage this morning. God, uh, Paul, is addressing false teachers who are professing to know God, but how they live their lives, their works, their behaviour doesn't match up. They've separated their faith from their works and they're in complete opposition to one another. Paul is saying that faith and works or faith and behaviour, faith and how we live our lives needs to go together. Now let me pause and be really clear just for a quick minute because I don't want anyone walking out here with the wrong idea. Paul is not saying that to truly be saved, you have to do these things, you have to live this way, your behaviour has to look like this in order to earn the right to be saved. Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying... You are saved. Praise God for that. And because of that, in light of that, you'll naturally want to live the way that God instructs us to live in response to the fact that the gospel saves us, not to earn the gospel to save us. Paul doesn't say, do these things so that you can be saved. He says, you are saved and therefore we will do these things. When someone honestly responds to the gospel in saving faith, their works, their behaviour, how they live their lives will be evidence of that faith. And what's this new way of living that Christians are called to? What should a Christian's new behaviour look like? Verse 12 gives us a few examples. We should live this way because training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. A true response to the gospel in saving faith teaches us to say no to sin and yes to godliness. And in the present age, stresses that this godliness is to be lived out now, starting today, in the here and now, not just once Christ returns. What would that look like for you? What would that look like in your life? What's the ungodliness or worldly passions in your life that you cling to so hard that you find hard to let go of? What are the sinful areas? You might have thought about it earlier. What are the sinful areas in our lives that you find it hard to exercise self-control or godliness in? Is it pornography and a lust addiction? Is it greed? Is it pride? What is it for you? What are the areas in your life that don't match up to the godly standards that we're called to? And as you're thinking about them now, what, what are you doing about them? What, what is our attitude towards them? Are we ashamed and repentant of them or are we a bit, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Jesus will come back and everything will be good. Because the book of James tells us that faith without deeds is dead. And 1 John 2, 5 to 6 says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The saying of Christ. Does what we claim to believe match up with how we behave and how we live our lives? Or are we similar to the false teachers that Paul's addressing here where there's a gap between their faith and works? Does how you live your life, even when no one else is around, affirm or deny your claim to know God? But still, all that being said, if God's already saved us, then why should we bother to strive to live this way? Paul says, because of the coming return of Jesus Christ, our King. You see, certainty about the future enables constancy in the present. Jesus will return and perfect this world and all of his creation, including you and I, to function in the way that God originally intended us to. Sinless, in perfect harmony with him. 
And therefore, the fact that Jesus is returning, and this will be our ultimate state, our ultimate destination, then as verse 12 tells us, that this is how we're to begin striving to live as of now, in the present age, in preparation for our returning king. Jesus' return should drive us to live godly lives. And lastly, Christ's return is an event that we should eagerly long for. As we spoke about earlier, some events in life are dreaded and we fear them and we try and forget them um, and we try and avoid them. Other events, like staff meetings, just come and go and they don't really impact our lives. And then again, there are some events that we look forward to and anticipate. We spoke about a wedding and they take preparation as they influence our lives before they arrive. For me as a kid, I think birthdays were another instance of this fact. Um, I would look forward to my birthday each and every year. Once September 12 had passed, by September 13, I was already thinking about what presents I want, um, how do I get mum and dad to just know what I want, and I start dropping hints. And in the lead up to my birthday, I would be begging for presents early. On the day of my birthday, I would be up as early as mum and dad would let me be up to be able to get a present. Um, It's ironic, now all I want for my birthday is to sleep until six or seven. Um, But birthdays were an event that I longed for. I definitely cared about them. I wasn't scared about them, and I eagerly anticipated them. Hopefully birthdays are like that for some of you guys too. But while this is a somewhat silly example, this is actually the kind of excitement, this is the kind of anticipation that we're called to have for Christ's return. You see, in verse 13 of Titus 2, no, I can't read that. Um, in verse 13 of Titus 2, where it says, Do this while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, the Greek word used here for wait isn't this just sit around and do nothing until Christ returns. The Greek word here for wait is to eagerly wait, is to eagerly anticipate. Uh, It's not a passive wait, it's an active wait whereby we're called to begin preparing for this event before it arrives. It's not quite here yet, but this verse calls us to not just sit around and do nothing, but to actively begin preparing now while we long for Jesus Christ to return. And for those who are in Jesus Christ and have responded to the gospel then Christ's return is not an event that we need to dread. It's an event that is coming, that will change our lives forever. But like a wedding, we're called to begin preparing for it now as we eagerly anticipate it and look forward to it in joy. Jesus is returning. Now what? Respond to the gospel. Share the gospel. Live godly lives in preparation for his return and eagerly Don't just sit around doing nothing. Eagerly wait, actively wait, and begin to long in great joy and anticipation for the return of our King. Let me pray. Dear God, we praise you so much for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die death he didn't deserve to save us uh, from our sins. And we praise you for that. Thank you for the opportunity we have to respond to that in saving faith. And... um, God, we praise you again that you will send your son back, that Jesus will return. And I pray for us this morning that as we reflect on his return, that um, it will not be an event that scares us, it will not be an event that we fear, that it won't be an event that we're apathetic about and don't really 
do much of our effort, rather that it will be something that we can look forward to, that we can eagerly wait, that we can eagerly anticipate and long for the return of your son when our relationships with you will be perfected once and for all. Amen.